everyone. Welcome to a whole new episode of Featurepreneur Presence Live AMA. Hope all of you had a very happy and blessed Sunday. Stay tuned with us throughout the session to shoot out your intriguing questions and to win those exciting prizes. Today, amidst us, we have Mr. Mark Ryan, who is presently a data science manager at Intact Toronto, Canada. He bags 10 to 12 years of experience in machine learning, hybrid data management, and DB2 administration from IBM. He pursued his bachelor's in mathematics and computer science from the University of Waterloo, followed by his master's degree in computer science from the University of Toronto. Uh, Mark, it is indeed a pleasure to have you with us today. Welcome to Featurepreneur Presence Live AMA. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this session. Thank you. Okay, the pleasure is definitely us. Before we begin, Mark, can you please introduce yourself to our interns? Sure. I think Sonia did a, did a great job. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm currently a data science manager at Intact, which is an insurance company in Canada. It uh, deals with auto insurance as well as property insurance. And uh, prior to that, I spent a large portion of my career working at the IBM lab in Toronto, working on the DB2 database area as well in the last few years, working in the area of Watson Studio, which is IBM's framework for uh, machine learning. All right, thank you so much for that edifying intro. Uh, so let me start off with a very basic question. Uh, why and what made you choose data science as your career? Well, I had done my master's in artificial intelligence, and this was back before, well before the deep learning revolution. So at that point, it was all symbolic AI. So for example, the area that I was in was called computational linguistics. And this was finding ways to solve problems with human language using computers. So one of the classic problems at the time, which really had not been cracked at all, was machine translation how to translate and, and Canada is a bilingual country. So we often have the, the question of how can we translate from English to French and French to English. So uh, there was a lot of work being done in the area that I was in at the University of Toronto on doing this kind of translation. The approach at the time was to write code to do it. So human written code, you know, if, if statements, for loops, that kind of thing to characterize the full extent of human language and then try to uh, provide a way to translate, for example, from English to French. And the problem is this approach would work with small sort of, um, you call them toy problems. So if, for example, at the time Canada, whether uh, forecasts were translated from English to French using the, the kind of technology that was available at the time, but it didn't really work at scale. So uh, when I was finished my master's, I was a bit disillusioned to tell you the truth. I learned a lot from doing that, but I thought this approach, I, there just aren't enough programmers in the world to write code in the languages used at the time or Lisp and Prolog to actually solve significant problems using this approach. And I went to work at IBM, worked on a number of different areas. And then in the middle of the 2010s, it became evident to me that something had changed and that the statistical, the uh, uh, connected connectionist approaches to data science were actually making a difference. And there were things that were really working so that sparked my interest again and uh, about uh, five or six years ago i committed myself to get up to speed on the latest what was happening in the realm of machine learning and that was it i was i was uh, i had the i had the bug and i uh, just kept going the more i learned the more i wanted to learn 
and uh, just kind of went on from there. I was able to shift my attention in IBM towards more of a data science kind of role while I was there, and uh, then moved over to Intact in 2019, where I've been focused on data science since. Okay, I would have to say very inspirited journey as it sounds. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, my guest, next question is, as you mentioned, uh, you're working currently as a data science manager at Intact. So what? Uh, please talk to us about your experience with Intact and what kind of different works do you engage yourself at Intact? Sure, sure. So one of the things about Intact is there's a dedication to data science and machine learning from the very top level executives. In fact, part of my job is answering questions about how we're using data science so that can be shared with uh, with investors. So there is an absolute commitment at the very top of the company to say, we're going to use this technology to change the way we do business. So uh, part of this is because this has been the, the case at Intact for a while, is there are a lot of models that are currently in production. A lot of Intact's business depends on using uh, machine learning. And there's, a, and there's a large group of data scientists who are working on maintaining and expanding this. So being in that atmosphere where there's there's a complete commitment from the very top of the company to the technology is, is great. The team that I'm in, I manage a team that is focused on usage-based insurance. And what this is called UBI. And this is a program where auto insurance clients can choose, it's, it's, an, it's an optional thing, they can choose to sign up to this program. And if they do, they download an app on their mobile phone and this app collects information from the sensors in their phone that we can map to acceleration, braking, speed, various aspects of how they're driving. And we collect that information, use it to train a model which predicts their uh, driver's future claim behavior. That is, are they going to have accidents based on their current driving behavior? And it gives the opportunity for the, uh, for the clients to get an adjustment to what they're paying for auto insurance. So that's, that's what, my, what my team's working on. And there are various other aspects of insurance that other teams work on. There, there's also significant application of data science to solve problems internally within Intact to run the business in, internally. So it's a, it's a very broad scope of uh, parts of the business that data science is used in, and a, a very broad scope of machine learning technology that's used uh, at Intact as well. Okay, very interesting and inspiring piece of work that you've been working. We, we also noticed that uh, you had a lot of experience uh, by working with IBM as well. So how did working at IBM shape you to be the person you are right now? So uh, I, IBM is, is, was a great place to work. I guess the key thing was I got to work with some great clients. So I was able to travel, visit client sites in New York City, San Francisco, the Midwest US, various places in the US. Singapore, Korea, uh, in China, Beijing, and Shenzhen. So the fact that it's truly an international company gave me the opportunity to work with these clients from all over the world. And th those are clients I actually visited and I worked with dozens of other clients virtually. So that was a really great experience. And throughout IBM, there's a really strong ethic of putting the client first and doing whatever was required to solve client problems. Just a quick example of that, I'd, I'd spent about a week at a client, a client in the in the U.S. that had a significant problem, a problem that was actually blocking the production of their product, and I spent a week with that client helping to coordinate IBM's response to this. And things looked like they were getting better, so I got on the plane, flew back to Toronto, and as soon as I got off the plane, my phone lit up. So there were five people trying to phone me because the the client had crashed again. So uh, I phoned up my boss on my way home, and I said, "I'm flying back out there." 
the next day. So I flew back out, spent another five days there to make sure things were okay. And that's just an example of the of what was uh, the culture at IBM in terms of dedication to client success. Worked with some fantastically talented people. My last set of bosses while I was at IBM, Jessica Rockwood, Al Martin, Michael Kwok, were all extremely talented, very talented leaders, and they all had a real, I, we call it like a heart for the client, a real dedication to client success. Uh, it wasn't all roses. It was very challenging environment. So there were a number of times, for example, that uh, we need to work on Christmas Day because, you know, it's, uh, it isn't Christmas Day. It, it, well, it's a big day in Canada. It's not throughout the world. So we'd have clients, for example, in Japan who needed things done and they needed to be done. So that made it tough. Canadian holidays, uh, quite often I'd spend working on client issues from, from clients in the other parts of the world. Uh, so it was, uh, I, I got a lot out of my experience at IBM, but it was a, it was a tough environment as well. Okay. Like you said, uh, though it was a very challenging environment, you had a quite a fascinating uh, experience from them, right? Uh, so that's very interesting. And uh, we noticed that you worked with uh, DB2. So what exactly is the role of a DB2 user technology manager? Right, so DB2 is a relational database. So some of the competitors to DB2, SQL Server from Microsoft and um, uh, the Oracle database from, from Oracle. And, and, and this is technology that isn't necessarily seen as being particularly fascinating right now, but I, anybody who's, as you, as you live your life, as, you, as for example, um, I'd say one of, one of the largest mobile phone providers in India runs its business on DB2. So as you, as you live your life, there are relational tables in DB2 or Oracle or SQL Server that are getting updated all the time. Every bank transaction that you, that you make, every mobile phone call that you make, uh, interactions with social media, all of those things leave a trace in relational tables. So it was a very, it's, a, it's sort of a foundational technology. And what that means is that when a business has a problem, and this, this would occur sometimes, they'd have a problem, there'd be... Uh, Either the customer had had done something that caused a problem, or at some in some cases there would be a code problem that had been that gotten gotten out there. It would uh, sometimes affect a company very fundamentally, like really stop their ability to do business. So when there were problems, they they could sometimes be quite intense. One of the things that was uh, a, a real challenge for us was during just before American Thanksgiving, so on rather just after on Black Friday, when the online retailers would double, triple, quadruple their business, uh, quite often there would be DB2 at some point under the stack. And that, that uh, the, the database would get stressed to an incredible rate. So we needed to be on our toes in case there was a problem, in case uh, a threshold was, was passed and a customer had to get, uh, to get going again. So yeah, so DB2 and relational databases in general really underpin, they're, again, we say they're not necessarily the most uh, uh, hottest topic in terms of technology, but they really underpin our lives. And uh, when something goes wrong, it, it becomes it becomes a very big deal. Okay, uh, thank you for sharing that piece of information about DB2 with our interns. Uh, let's go a little off track here. Let me ask you a very non-tech question now. Uh, so the question I have for you is, uh, if you had won $1 million, what would you do with that? Well, I guess this is a good question. I thought about this a little bit. I, I do enjoy my job at Intact. 
And uh, I guess it would, it would create a real dilemma because I don't know whether maybe I'd want to continue working. But let's say that I had, I had that kind of money, it was time to do something different. What I would do is I would start a startup to look at applications of deep learning to tabular data, to structured data. I think this is an area that has been really under-researched and I think there's huge potential there. So that if I had a million dollars and I could spend my time on anything, on the most intellectually interesting problem, that would be it. I think there's a, there's a big, big opportunity there. There's huge potential to apply deep learning to tabular data. And uh, I can kind of kind of taste it, the back of, back, back of my mouth, I can taste that there's potential there. There's, there's a potential for a breakthrough. And if I could uh, spend some time with some researchers and uh, kind of push that area forward, that's how I'd like to, that's how I'd like to spend that million dollars. Very exciting. Hope you receive your $1 million and hope you offer all our interns to work in your startup. Awaiting a great offer from you, Mark. So, uh, so coming back, uh, speaking of your projects, so what was that one interesting project that you have worked on so far? If you could name one interesting project that you worked on. Well, the, the UBI project has been very interesting. And when I joined Intact, it, had, it was up and running. So it wasn't something I was I was involved in at the very beginning, but it combines a bunch of interests in me. So I'm very interested in uh, in cars. Obviously, I'm interested in data science. It's an interesting data stream. It's also interesting from the point of view of how clients react to this. So people are getting feedback in the app about how they're driving. So at the same time as the as the model is is scoring somebody based on their future uh, potential to have an accident, they're getting feedback about how they're driving as well. And it's really interesting to see how the clients react to that because some people will say, okay, I can, I can adjust my driving. But generally speaking, people think that they're, uh, they're good drivers. People, as they look at themselves, there are very few people who self-identify and say, I'm, I'm not a very good driver. So that's very interesting from a kind of a, how, how people's uh, psychology works. Um, I'd say the other thing, when I was at IBM, I did a, an experiment applying deep learning to try to predict whether or not a client was going to make a, a duty manager call. That is whether they're going to escalate a support issue and uh, using the, the information about tickets that had been accumulated over the, over the previous years. And that was a really interesting project. It didn't come to complete fruition, but it was very interesting to see what the potential was there. And that kind of whet my appetite for trying to apply deep learning to uh, structured data because that's the first time I really saw the, the potential there. Yeah, that's very interesting. We also came across a very uh, similar type of medium article of yours, which is about uh, GPT-3. Uh, is it very similar to your UBI project or is it something very different? So can you it's, throw some light yeah, on that? Sure, it's very different. So uh, GPT-3 is a huge, uh, just an enormous language model that OpenAI put out about nine months ago. Now, but then it's, yeah, in uh, June of 2020. And it's an, uh, they've, they had uh, released earlier versions of it. And the thing that I found remarkable, and I got access to it in August, and the thing that I found remarkable, both from the, the experiments I'm doing myself, as well as what I'd seen other people do, is up to this point, uh, machine learning models have basically been able to do one thing. So there are machine learning models that do a fantastic job at, uh, providing labels for images. So you give it an image, it will provide a text label to say what's in the image, or do a fantastic job at turning human speech into text. Um, 
but this this model actually does a bunch of things and does it does some things not all that well but it's it is really remarkable with very little effort without actually having to do any real training you can get it to solve a whole range of problems so people have posted uh using it to generate websites to to generate html from an english description uh doing translation between languages and not you know not doing necessarily a state-of-the-art job but doing a decent job and I did experiments to generate Git commands from English language descriptions, and it did a pretty good job with that. I also did an experiment to compare its uh, its performance in uh, a chatbot that did uh, provided uh, answers to movie trivia questions. And this GPT-3, with basically zero preparation, did as good a job as a chatbot that I had spent three months putting together. So that really showed me this thing is is able to do a bunch of things reasonably well and i think it's it's interesting not so much that gpt3 is necessarily going to change the world by itself but i believe that its successors so as the model gets bigger as the way it's trained is improved it really is going to be able to do multiple things well and that could really be a, 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 a have a huge impact on software development in general on making it possible for people who aren't programmers to create their own custom software to solve a particular problem. I think there, there's huge potential for this uh, for this technology. So that, that's something um, I, I'm definitely uh, bullish on. I think it's I think the potential of that approach is, is huge. Okay, a very remarkable work as mentioned. Uh, we also came across your YouTube video about fast AI and Keras. So can you please elaborate on that? Sure. So Keras, I, I guess people are probably familiar with TensorFlow as a framework for deep learning. And Keras, particularly since 2019, since 2019 when TensorFlow 2 came out, is tightly linked. It's, it is the high-level API for using TensorFlow. And it's great. I've used Keras for most of the deep work I've been doing with deep learning, and I found it really, it, it's extremely well documented. There's a huge community using it. So when you run into a problem, it's easy to find an answer on Stack Overflow. Uh, the documentation's great. So it's really, it's really a very solid platform for people learning about deep learning and for non-specialists to try and solve problems. Uh, but Keras does take some time to reach the point where you can actually get a, that first model cranked out. And the idea of fast AI, which uh, Jeremy Howard and team have put together, and it's a combination of a course, which, which is teaching deep learning, as well as this platform, which is a platform for uh, uh, starting beginners using deep learning, is you can get results very, very quickly. So you can, with just a really just a few lines of code, you can get a really good deep learning model. And there are a number of reasons for this. They made really good choices about the defaults that they use. They try to make it as simple as possible. They curate a really nice set of data sets you can use very easily. Because some of the problem people have as they're beginning to use deep learning is the data sets are just a hassle to ingest. And uh, the fast AI framework makes that very easy. So there are a lot of advantages to fast AI. One of the things where it's, it is weaker than Keras is the documentation, which means if you stray off the happy path and you run into, a, you run into problems, there are two things there. One is there aren't as many people using it, so it's gonna be a bit harder to find. If you run into a problem, there's a chance that, some, that nobody else has run into the same problem. 
And the documentation compared to the Keras documentation just isn't as, as strong. So uh, yeah, so that's sort of the comparing these. And, and the other thing I should mention is fast AI, you can think of uh, the way that Keras is a high level API for TensorFlow. Fast AI is kind of like a high level, high level API for PyTorch. People may say, does PyTorch really need that? I would say somebody who hadn't used PyTorch before, FastAI certainly made it faster to, uh, to use it. Um, yeah, so that's basically the, that's what FastAI and Keras are about. And in that video, I was trying to just summarize what I saw as the strengths and weaknesses of each of, each of those frameworks. Um, but overall, I've been using FastAI quite a bit over the last few months, and I've been very impressed with it. I found it really, it, it, what's really impressed me is how easy it is to get good results. And Keras to get kind of mediocre results isn't that hard, but the amount of tuning and fiddling it takes to get really good results can be quite a bit. Whereas fast AI, quite often you'll get really good results just by sticking with the defaults, which is great for non-specialists who want to harness the power of deep learning. A very crystal clear explanation. Thank you uh, for those insights. Uh, my next question uh, for you is, oh, we see that you have gone to two top schools of Canada, University of Toronto and University of Waterloo. So which one did you enjoy the most and how, what was your experience with each school? Well, that's, it's interesting you should use the word enjoy because there is a real distinction there. So I learned a lot at Waterloo and I was in a co-op program there, which was great because it exposed me to the working world. But it was a very, very tough environment. And I can't say I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, I hadn't been back to Waterloo for many decades. And I went back there uh, for an intact recruitment event just before the lockdown in early 2020. And it was really strange to be back on the campus again after so long. And it made me realize I'm grateful for the chance to study there and have you know, such talented instructors and grateful for the co-op program, but it, it left a scar. It was, it was a tough place, a tough place to be. Uh, U of T, I found, was, was a much more enjoyable experience. I had a much better time uh, overall. I had a great advisor in Graham Hurst, who's a really talented academic leader. And now as I look back, I see that, and this makes me, one of the, one of the regrets I have, some of the giants of deep learning were there at the time. So uh, Jeffrey Hinton, who's still at U of T, and Yan LeCun were at U of T at the same time that, that I was there. And I don't think I, I ran across them. Um, so that's a, maybe a bit of a regret there. One of uh, Canada's most recent governor general, the representative of our head of state, the queen, was at U of T at the same time that I was there. So that was, that was a little bit interesting to have had that, uh, that exposure. She uh, went on to become an astronaut, astronaut and the governor general. So uh, she had a very, very high trajectory after her time at U of T. All right. Uh, my next question for you is, uh, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? I'd say that the thing that I would, the, the most important thing is to stay technical. I think one of the mistakes that I made as I became a manager and took on leadership roles is I strayed a bit from the technical side. And that's a natural thing to happen. You get busy and you, you, your opportunity to stay technical doesn't stay. So I'd say anybody who's starting from a technical point of view, as you, if you move on in your career, you become a manager, you maybe become an executive, you want to, want to stay technical. 
The other thing I, I'd say is look for opportunities to share with share what you know. So that could be very simple. It could be uh, presenting at a meetup. It could be writing an article, like in, in Medium is a great platform for, for writing blogs. Doing a presentation at a conference is really good because it forces you to really prepare your thoughts and to summarize them very clearly and to be prepared to, to answer questions about them. So I, I didn't get into doing conference presentations until uh, relatively late in my career at IBM. And I wish I had done that earlier because that was, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And it also forced me to really refine my technical understanding and my communication as well. So I guess those things, yeah, stay technical and look for ways to share what you know with other people. Those are, those are key. Okay, thank you so much for that tip. Stay technical and share what you know to others. And uh, the next thing I want to ask you is, uh, can you please share with our interns what are those best resources that helped you along the way when you started your data science journey? That's a, that's a great question. Some of these may be a little bit dated, but I'll say one thing which I really enjoyed and I, it really got me going was the Andrew Ng Coursera machine learning course. This is the introduction to machine learning because it covered a full spectrum of machine learning. It had, it was a really, I thought it was a great format with the videos and it incorporated tests. So you, you had a chance to, to test your understanding as well as code, um, code assignments. It just, it was really compelling. I find it actually addictive. It was, it was that interesting and learned very quickly. It's not perfect. So it's getting a bit old right now. I don't believe it's been updated recently. And so some of it, it doesn't have recent uh, uh, changes as far as I know. And at least the last time that I looked at it, the, the code exercises were in MATLAB rather than Python. And I learned MATLAB for that course and I haven't used it since. So I mean, it would have been a little bit better had that been in Python, but overall, we completely think that's that's a fantastic course. I did the uh, went through the fast AI, an earlier version of the fast AI course I mentioned before, uh, the Jeremy Howard and, and team, and that's just an incredible thing. It's completely free. The videos are available online along with all of the code, so you get the courses. It's a platform. Uh, Jeremy Howard, one of his partners, wrote a book last year that talks in some more depth about it. And it really provides a way to learn about deep learning and make it available to non-specialists. So that that's something that really I, I found was critical in helping me to get to the point where I could actually apply deep learning. Um, I, I keep a pretty close eye on me, medium articles are a little bit, a little bit of uh, uh, there's so many of them right now. It's hard to it's hard to keep up, but they're good because they provide a way to sort of indicate what's new. What I'm, what I'm really using as a resource right now is podcasts. So there are a number of podcasts I follow fairly regularly. Uh, Twimmel AI is great, uh, Local Maximum. Machine Learning Street Talk is a really great podcast. It's a nice balance between technical and higher level discussions. Uh, Lex Friedman has a podcast. He goes a bit wild sometimes, but he gets the best guests. He has a fantastic uh, set of guests. Uh, the Weights and Biases podcast is really good. And uh, Yannick Kilcher has a, a podcast, a, set, a, a series of videos where he, he dissects papers. And that I find, and that's quite challenging because it's, he's getting into some technical depth. But listening to those, if there's a, a research paper that's a bit difficult to understand, I find that's a fantastic resource because he explains it very clearly. And, you know, you can go through, sometimes listen to, listen to them a couple of times to really get it. Uh, so that's been a that's been a really good good resource good resource those podcasts. 
Okay, uh, thank you for those insights. We'll keep them noted. Um, my final question for you today is, um, if you could step into my shoes, that is, if you, if you could interview yourself, what is that one question that you would ask yourself that I didn't ask you today? Um, I think that's, that's a great question. So I think one of the things that you, you sort of mentioned a little bit is some of the mistakes that I've made. Um, so I'd say, yeah, that's why I'd say the mistakes. And I'd answer that, I'd say, I'd stop being technical at IBM. So that was a mistake. And I also didn't take my own advice to get out there and um, present at conferences, meetups, do blog posts. I hesitated about that. And I should have gotten into that more, uh, more quickly because you get great feedback. It's fun. And it's a great way to make sure that you've learned something clearly. There's, not, there's nothing like trying to write an article about something that you think you know to determine what you don't know. It forces you to, to learn it better. And then when it's out there, you'll get the feedback. And I hesitated because I thought, well, what if I'm not right? What if, what if this isn't perfect? Um, there's this idea of imposter syndrome, which is very common amongst data scientists. They think, well, I don't know everything, so I shouldn't say anything. But data science is such a complex and broad topic. Nobody knows everything. And, you know, and if Jeff, Jeff Hinton and Jan LeCun and Joshua Bengio were on this call right now, they'd be talking, I would imagine, in a fairly humble way about all the stuff they don't know. So I'd say, yeah, don't, I, I, a mistake I made was being too hesitant about getting out there and, and sharing what I did know and being open to getting the feedback, learning from that. Okay, very honest and well expressed. Uh, so that was the final question from my side. Uh, so now it's time for the audience to shoot up their questions. So guys, if you uh, have any questions, please unmute yourself, introduce yourself, and you can ask Mark your questions. Any questions from your uh, from you guys? Please unmute yourself and ask him your question. Yeah, hello, sir. I am Ishwar. Uh, hi, Ishwar. We are having a you know little trouble hearing you. Uh, can you speak to uh, us again? Yeah. Hello. Uh, yeah, am I hearable now? Yeah, you're audible now. You can you can ask him question now. Uh, sir, can you say some words about your experience in Waterloo? Sure, sure. I can elaborate a little more about Waterloo. So I was there in the early '80s. So this was this was some time ago, and at that time it was a, the uh, the program was very challenging. It was very math heavy. So the first two years were really really heavy on math. And I had come out of high school, given that this system of education in Ontario, uh, come out of high school thinking, thinking I was actually pretty good at math. And there I was amongst the people who were the, who were the, the uh, cream of the crop of students in Ontario. So I realized I really wasn't that good in math and calculus in particular was quite, was quite challenging for me. So uh, I kind of got through, got through two years of calculus, made it through that and uh, found some of the math I really did enjoy. So there was, there were some great courses on linear algebra that were very interesting. Uh, theory of computing courses, which are interesting. And those are interesting because they're still applicable. They're the, that, what I learned there is, is, is useful today. And then of course there were programming uh, courses. So this was prior to C++. So there was some programming in C. Um, and uh, that there was also a system that was local to to Waterloo, which is kind of kind of passed on. And that's one of the things. If you're in in the programming business for a time, there will be languages that you learn that will that will fall out, uh, fall by the wayside. 
Yeah, so that was sort of the, that was a bit of the the tenor of water of of Waterloo. The co-op program was good. One of the things I think was a downfall, and it's still the case, is that the work terms are short. They're only four months. And my experience, both as a co-op student and as an employer, is the longer terms are better. So where we, where there are students who are in programs where they have, let's say, a 16-month co-op all at once, that's really good. Somebody really gets to learn and they get to make a contribution that way. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's a, a quick summary of my experience at Waterloo. Yeah, thank you, sir. And I have another question. What are the projects you are currently working on? So at Intact, I, uh, as I mentioned, there's the usage-based insurance, a UBI. So we continue to work on that, continue to refine that, improve the client's experience and improve the performance of the model. Um, and then I, I'm also interested, that, you know, outside of my work at Intact, some of the things I'm interested in, uh, GPT-3. So continue to find ways to use that. It's been out for about nine months now. And every few weeks, think of something that would, might be a way to uh, to use it. The thing is, because it's been out for a while, a lot of the problems have been solved. And one of the things I thought about a couple of months ago was regular expressions. So would there be a way to uh, use GPT-3 to take it, an English language description of a regular expression and generate the code to for to 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 uh, for that regular expression. Um, now that's been done a few times, uh, fairly well by some other people, but I still think there's there's there are interesting things to try to try there. And then um, I've been spending spending time learning more about the fast AI platform. So how to how to use that, how to uh, create uh, models in some areas I'm not somewhat familiar with, like recommender systems uh, and NLP using fast AI. So that's not really research. It's more just kind of teaching myself more about this platform. All right. Uh, thank you, Ishwa, for that question. Uh, thank you. OK, thank you. Uh, anyone else? Hi. Hello. Uh, yes, Alvis, you're audible. Hi, I'm Alvis. I'm uh, working from Tech Lab, so I have a question on how you imagine you could like send back a message to your younger self who's just starting out in his career what would be that message so that's a great question Alvis. the thing i would say is pay attention to neural networks so when i was doing my masters at university of toronto we did spend a little bit of time talking about neural networks and they were dismissed to a certain extent and they didn't work all that well back then but I think if I had kept an open mind and watched the progression of that technology, then I would have noticed it earlier than I did and could have had the opportunity to learn more about it. So instead of having uh, four years experience on it, I could have 10 years experience now. So one of the things I try to, I try to spend time on is think about well, what's new, what's coming, what's, what are some big potential directions in uh, AI or machine learning so I don't get caught behind again. And one of the questions when I'm doing interviews for people, so I interview people fairly regularly for, for jobs at Intact, one of the questions I ask them is, can you name two major AI breakthroughs or headlines that happened in 2020? And I ask that to say, are, are the people, the candidates, are they thinking about the bigger picture? Are they thinking beyond what they, the, the project they just posted on GitHub to the bigger picture of how this technology is changing and how it could be used in the future? 
so I'll throw that out. Does anybody have a have a guess about the answer to that question? Like what were what were two big AI stories in 2020? So, Alvis? I'm not aware of anything. Uh, maybe I can give it a try, but I'm not sure how like how accurate the like uh, Microsoft they created like a billion parameters like that's the reach like the maximum parameters for the uh, for one research I forgot like what exactly is that but uh, those kind of like uh, reaching out maximum parameters is not easy at all so Microsoft after Microsoft and uh, I think fast AR is like a hugging face they reached uh, uh, they provided a like an open source kind of thing. Not exactly open source, it's kind of like a testing kind of work, testing water, something like that. Like Hugging Face, they, they, they did something, uh, some kind of uh, uh, research on that. Those things I've just kept following it. Maybe you could fill it up uh, better actually. Sure, well, that the first one is is close to the question I asked. So I, I would call a GPT-3, okay. the thing. So the, uh, and Microsoft was involved, so they're backer of that. The previous, so GPT-3 had, uh, 173 billion parameters so it was an order of magnitude bigger than the uh the, the previous um language models and then the other major story which was in december of 2020 was AlphaFold 2. so this came out of deep mind in the uk and this was solving a a decades-old problem in um, natural sciences to do with protein folding so i don't understand and i'm gonna be honest with you i don't understand the 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 science of why this matters or how this necessarily be applied but it is remarkable that the uh, uh deep minds uh approach to this was an order that was was hugely more accurate than all the other uh competitors and that reminded me of back in back in 2012 when jeffrey hinton and his team won the ImageNet contest or did best at the ImageNet contest. And there again, they were applying deep learning and they had a result that was significantly better than any of the other competitors. So looking out for that kind of thing where something something has, it's not just a little like 2% better, but it's it's a, a step above what anybody else has been able to do. That's usually an indicator that something's, something major is happening. But the interesting thing about GPT-3 and it's assumed about AlphaFold 2 is that part of their secret sauce, part of what made them successful. So for GPT-3, it definitely was the use of uh, uh, transformer-based language models. And there's speculation that for AlphaFold 2, in a completely different area, like nothing, nothing to do with language, to do with, to do with natural science, is also using uh, uh, attention as part of the solution there. So that's really interesting that there's this fundamental idea that's creating world-beating results in two very different areas. That sounds good. Like, uh, yeah, I was just following the story of Jeffrey Hinton, actually. So when he applied for research programs, like he judges like a lot of ideas, like I think 30 years, 20 years ago, nobody listened to him, actually. Then he applied in UK and different countries, nobody paid attention. Then he came back to Canada, like he came to Canada, and then he just asked for a government to fund out. Then like uh, our government did fund a little bit. That's the thing. Like every every new technology that comes in the market, some government they pay attention to that. Not every government does. So I would definitely say that Toronto and Montreal they just took advantage of these kind of uh, research programs. So they paved the way for uh, researchers like uh, Jeffrey Hinton. Otherwise, we wouldn't be like this in this situation right now. 
these are the things I followed up so far, but I'm a big fan of Jeffrey Hinton. But it's also it's like Toronto, like UFT, they they paved the way. They just started funding him because it's not easy to trust a new thing, right? Because Jeffrey Hinton proposed a new concept. But uh, fortunately, we started funding and that paved a good thing. That's uh, It's paid back right now, but it's a good start for us. It, it did. It did. And, and I think it was, it was perseverance as well, because there was there were reasons why people were, didn't believe neural networks were going to work. So Jeffrey Hinton and Jan LeCun, certainly they, they kept at it. If you're interested, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading a book called Genius Makers by Kate oh. Metz. And it talks about it actually it, it's a history of deep learning. And it has a number of chapters that talk about the story of Jeffrey Hinton, his his progression and what what he uh what what his accomplishments and setbacks were and i i highly recommend it like it's really well written it's not a it's not technical it's talking more from a kind of a personality point of view but i find it i i found it just really compelling it tells the story really well it's kind it's called genius makers by kate metz it just came out uh last week okay that would be great well definitely we can buy and we are running a book book club definitely we can buy and ask the character like the students to start reading it actually thanks for the recommendation I'll put that in the in the chat. That'll be great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, uh, guys, for your questions. Uh, thank you, Mark, for everything. Uh, so I think I believe we have come to the end of the session. Uh, thank you, Mark, for taking time and joining us today. Thank you so much for all those insights and for talking to us about your experience and about your projects. It was indeed a very informative session to all our engines, I assure you that. So on behalf of Future Planner, I express my sincere gratitude to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you very much for the chance to, to join you. Thank you for the great questions. And I encourage anybody, you know, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you have any follow-up questions, I'd be happy to, to take them in LinkedIn. Thank you very much. Thanks. It was indeed a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. And uh, Mark, aside for uh, like, uh, try to uh, bother you, just one more thing, like, uh, sure. Be interested. Let's say if some of our team members they want to volunteer, they are not looking for monetary benefits, but they want us to do some kind of volunteering. Maybe you could uh, share some of your personal uh, machine learning uh, thing. But you don't need to share your uh, official stuff. Maybe you could just like since you have a lot of stuff in there, so we could work with you. Maybe we could uh, like about two or three candidates, including myself. We want to work with you just for the volunteering stuff. We so that we could uh, do some kind of uh, improving stuff because the problem with us, including me, like students, uh, like uh, like other students, they don't know what are the things they need to learn it. So maybe working with you on your personal machine learning uh, journey, we could learn a lot from you actually. It's again, it's, uh, it's a voluntary thing. So you don't need to worry about like uh, any any fun. We don't need any mm -hmm. monetary thing. Just like volunteering would be- so This would be, be like doing a, a, a side, investigation on something and maybe work together on the code, for example, for something that's uh, sort of a um, out, out of interest to understand the kind of technology a little bit better. Yeah, like everything's like related to machine learning as well as deep learning and CNN and uh, analytics. So we are happy to like uh, volunteer. Any any of your personal stuff you can share if you want to do some uh, analytics, analytics or like uh, some analysis on your library that you are working on. You can that could be that. Thank you. That could be very useful. I, I know, for example, for the fast AI stuff, uh, another pair of eyes, and I, I think particularly because it's intended for people who would want to use it without having to go into go into all of the details of fast AI. That's something that people might find beneficial, and it certainly 
would be useful for me to get another uh, some other people who are interested in it to take a look at it and try it out to see if it uh, if it works for them. That would be, yeah, that'd be great. Like I'll pick okay. our two more candidates, like two more students for me. So including okay. myself, we are ready to do volunteer for you. But we are like, okay, you can just let us know like what are the requirements you want to take in. We'll, we'll do that. Just for the okay. Moment. Okay, great. Yeah. So Raja, if you, if you could connect with me on LinkedIn, then uh, we can take it from there. Yeah. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. Too. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. I request all the interns to stay back uh, for the next session. All right. Uh, so hope all of you had a very interesting uh, AMA with Mark Ryan. Um, of course, all of you shooted out your interesting questions. But now the time has come to award those two people who asked a very interesting question today. So the winner for best intriguing question uh, of the live AMA with Mark Ryan is uh, Ishwar and Alvis. Congratulations to both of you. Uh, congratulations, Ishwar. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so Isha, how informative was this session for you? Uh, it's, it's so informative as every aim is just this is more informative than I expected. Uh, because uh, sharing so much real world experience uh, to the students uh, is always valuable. Yes, very true. It was more uh, into our core domain, right? Data science and ML and deep learning. So, of course, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was informative, not only just for you, but for the entire uh, participants crowd. Uh, so, anyways, congratulations on your win. Uh, moving on to Alvis, congratulations to you too. Uh, so, I have the same question to you. How, how interesting and informative was this session for you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. So uh, I really enjoyed this session. He had a lot of insights on how the industry was developing and how you're supposed to learn things and how different set of eyes can make different set of decisions. Like I got a really good insight on what is happening. So I'm really grateful for it. Thank you. All right. Congratulations on the win. Hope to see you next week's live AMA as well. We're glad that it was a very informative session for you. So moving on to the random winner for this week's live AMA. Um, can we get the wheel ready for the random winner? Yes, Gokul, are you trying to see it? Hello? Yeah, I think we can go for the spin, right, Sonia? Mm, oh, yes, Gokul, we can go for the spin. Uh, so let's spin the wheel to note the random winner for this week's live AMA. And the winner for this week's live AMA is Hari Prasad. Congratulations, Hari Prasad. Is Hari Prasad here with us today? Uh, hello, Hari Prasad. Can you unmute and speak to us? All right, I believe there's some technical glitch. Okay, Hari Prasad disconnected from us. Okay, anyways, uh, conveying congratulations to Hari Prasad on behalf of each of them. And that was the end of the session. Uh, as everybody said, a very informative, a very inspiring and uh, igniting session with Mark today. I'm
very glad that all of you could take uh, something out of the session today back home. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Uh, keep joining the live AMA sessions conducted by Fisher Brenner. It is definitely going to be very insightful and very informative. Uh, but anyways, congratulations to all the winners. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, everybody. I'm <laughs> sorry.